Well, my name is Charlie Vitito, and for 26 years I practiced dentistry about a mile down the road. This is my hometown, this is my community, this is my church. And as God has the freedom to do, he changed my occupation, and now I'm the missions pastor at this church. So I can't tell you how much our church staff and church family looks forward to these four days with you guys. So, welcome. Um, I'm going to share scripture with you. This is from uh, Isaiah 53. This helps me to get centered on Jesus. This is prophecy. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. He held him, we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. Father, grateful, grateful for that reminder. May we never get familiar with... Uh, too familiar with that obedience and the death on the cross that our Savior took for our, in our place. That we would be healed, that we would have peace, that we would have salvation in eternity with you forever. So um, thank you for that humility. Thank you for um, that great gift you gave us. So this time is yours, Father. Use it as you want. We pray uh, that we would hear from you. We pray for your presence. We pray your Holy Spirit speaks. Give us ears to hear. And we just pray for a fun time of conversation and challenging one another and being inquisitive about how do we really love people the way Jesus loved people. That's what we want to do. Also, Lord, we know that things burden your heart. We think about the almost 3 billion people that had not yet heard the name of Jesus. And um, so if you're calling us to that, may we be obedient to that. So just grateful for this time. We invite you. We expect you to do great things this next three days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this is going to be a lot more fun if I don't lecture up here because I really don't really like the lecture stuff. So So I want to ask a few questions. Um, You're in the right place, right? Everybody's in the right place? This is the class you wanted to attend? How many dental students do we have? Okay, how many dentists do we have? One, two, three. Three dentists. No dental students. Who are the rest of you guys? <laughs> uh, we got some medical students, fourth year medical students. Yeah, David and Derek. Who, what else? Tell me what else you guys are doing. Nursing, Nursing students, nurses. 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 What else? Pharmacy. Pharmacy. Awesome. Occupational therapist. Surgeon, okay. Pediatrician. Pediatrician. EMR. EMR. Say that again. EMR. Okay. Admin. Okay, what's EMR? I'm not familiar. Okay, sweet. All right, good. That's a big deal now, we all know. Yeah. You know what? Um, 
when I started, we just had charts, and <laughs> that was the way to go. So, um, sweet. So, you know, missions has changed, right? We don't go and do any more if we can keep from it. We go and equip others. Uh, we'll get more into that later. But let me show you this picture. Tell me what you see in this picture. Two men. Good. An unfinished building. Good. What else do you see? It's very hot. This is West Africa. Lack of materials. Good. No, what's that? No white people. No white people. That's good. I didn't notice that. But prop, no, a white person didn't take this picture. This is a village in northern Ghana. Who's been to Ghana, West Africa? Sweet. What part did you guys go to? Where's that near? Oh, okay. So you're familiar with Tamale. So this is not far north of that. So that's really up there. Yeah. So this is near Tamale. Um, so the guy in the yellow shirt is a pastor. So the new model in ministry is partnership. So we partnered with a Kenyan who was a missionary in Ghana. Kenya's in East Africa. Ghana's in West Africa. So the, the pastor, Adamu Muhammad, who's a Muslim background believer, said to the missionary from Kenya, hey, I've seen you with those Americans. This is our church back here, which you can see in the background. It holds 100 people. And uh, we're busting at the seams. Would you please send some Americans to build us a church? So the Kenyan said, uh, no, we won't do that. Matter of fact, guess what? The Lord has given you all the resources you need to build your own church. The pastor said, are you crazy? Do you know how much money we make? We're poor people. And uh, so the, the missionary said, no, I'll show you. I've, I've seen poverty. You're not poor. I'll show you some things and some, teach you some principles right from the scripture that will help you with this. So this region of the world is um, 60% Muslim. It's primarily agricultural community. The average income is about $1,500 a year. That's an estimate. Um, so I've been to this village about four times in the last 12 years. And I remember visiting this church for the first time. The second time I visited this church, I noticed there was 10,000 concrete blocks stacked outside this church. And I said, where did these come from? So what happened was when the Kenyans said, no, we can't help you with the church, but you can build your own church. The church said, how do we do that? So they had a capital campaign. They raised a little bit of money. Then the men in the church said, well, we know how to make concrete blocks. And there's plenty of sand everywhere. All we need to do is buy some concrete. So over a period of time, they started making concrete blocks. And this picture is about two years ago, and they've almost got all the walls up. Now, this sanctuary seats 500 people. I don't have a current picture, but if I had a current picture, it would show that the roof is on, the metal's in place, and they've built their own church. Right? This is the way mission's done now. When we were doing missions 15 years ago, we were going to places like Jamaica or Haiti 
or Africa, and we were building churches for them. And um, in the process, our Haitian brothers and sisters uh, are completely dependent on us, right? Who's been to Haiti? Oh, my goodness. You guys are blowing me away with this. How many times? How many to- what's the most number of times you've been to Haiti? Forty times. Forty times to Haiti. Wow, that's amazing. So they have dependency problem there, don't they? Okay. That's good. We'll, we'll keep talking. I want to give you a little bit of background about we, what we do here at Southeast, just to, to see uh, our reach. The Lord has blessed us with a huge privilege to partner around the world. Both, both to partner and to send missionaries from our own church and to plant churches. This map shows where our partners are based in these, these locations. This one shows the reach of these partners. So we have a partner in East, Eastern Europe, and they're in 14 countries. Or East Africa, and they're in 12 countries. This shows the missionaries that we support around the world, mostly from our church. And this shows our reach. And this map is changing all the time. So if you look at France, we're now in France and we're, we're helping to plant a church in Paris. So uh, so we, we have the privilege of, of hearing what God is doing around the world. And honestly, these partners that they think we've helped financially, they've really discipled us in how to do missions in a really healthy way, we feel like. Who knows this country right here? Yeah. So, did you know there's about 50 intentional workers for the gospel there? That's it. The epicenter of Islam, and that's all we have. So, you're going to hear about this weekend about how we can reach this nation because you can't send missionaries in there, but you can send healthcare workers. So, you young folks are in your program, uh, Saudis love Americans as far as infidels go. So I was there two years ago, and it's a great opportunity to go as a family and live on mission. You don't have to raise support because they have positions for you to fill. And in almost any kind of health care, education, engineering, they have a, a severe shortage of these folks. And that's how we're going to get the gospel in. So you guys are going to hear Andrew Scott from OM. Have you heard of him? He just wrote a book, Scattered. This is a new model for missions. So it's changing. It's not um, God has planted the church around the world, and it's time for us to equip and support and help that church. We don't have to go as much as Americans. That's why partnership is so important. Okay, here's the number of trips we go. We did about 67 trips this year, 19 countries, all to our partners that we, that we work with. So my hope is that I'm just going to talk for about another five minutes, and then we're going to open it up for discussion. So please... Interrupt me if you have anything that you want to ask or say. Because this is a ton more fun if we start to have an interchange. And there's some really cool people here, too, that can answer some questions. So, now, how many of you guys sit on mission committees in your church? Three? In your practice? Okay. So, guess what? Almost all of you, if you're at this conference, trust me, in 10 to 15 years, you're going to be sitting in leadership somewhere 
making mission decision about how we partner around the world, how we get the gospel to where it's supposed to be. So these are some things that we've learned from our partners on how best to engage our brothers and sisters around the world. Because we all have blind spots, right? I'm telling you, we have a ton of blind spots here. And in our own city, my African-American friends that are pastors show me my blind spots. And when is God most glorified? When we're unified. So we have to go together. This is the new model that um, God is, is using. It's an old model, but we're just now getting around to it for some reason. I don't get that. So the ministry is led in these countries by nationals, not by Americans. That's a big deal. Um, they know the culture. They know the environment. They're prepared. They're equipped. Um, there's no reason why we have to lead with Americans in a country. If we go to Kenya, we should have a Kenyan director. If we go to Ghana, it's a Ghanaian. Uh, and it's not dependent on one person. Um, sometimes when ministry starts, they're dependent on one person, but quickly they need to build a team so that if something happens to that one person, you're not dependent on that one person. Who can tell me the difference between relief and development? Raise your hand. Sustainability. Sustainability. Okay. What? Tell me more about that. Well, if you teach someone how to do something, how to take care of themselves, um, or other people, it's going to be more effective long-term. Yeah. Yeah. So when do you use relief? Life-threatening, crisis, hurricane hits Cuba, you go and you pour in the relief. Earthquake hits Haiti, you help. But what's the problem with relief in Haiti? It didn't stop. We didn't get to the development part. So, I don't know what that is. So that's, that's the issue. So when we think about this, we want the partner that we're working with to understand relief and development. Because we want to be about development. Relief is required in a crisis, but we want to be about that. What's the other thing about relief? Who gets the glory in relief? Parachute. The person that's parachuted in, bring in the health care, bring in the water, bring in the resources. They're the hero in relief. Who's the hero in development? The national, who else is the hero in, in development? God is the hero. So, in, uh, in the U.S., Huntsville, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, they have broken down uh, c- communities. We have it here in, in our city. Heavy crime, heavy, um, just all kinds of problems. Family issues, drug issues. You can fix it. You can buy the fix. So in Huntsville, a wealthy donor donates a couple hundred million dollars, buys a whole community, and fixes it all up. But that's external development. Development is internal in the person, and it should come from within, and it takes longer, and it's harder, and it requires us to depend on God. So that's another big factor. External development's not really development. And so another principle we use is that the local church is the hero. The local church is the one that brings the hope for the community. The local church is a change agent. The local church should be relevant to the community. 
our role is to help the local church. Right? Now, if Americans were going to go in and help a local church, we get really frustrated. Like, these folks do not get it. What is the problem? And our solution for poverty too many times is to pay to have somebody fix it because we're guilty about how many resources we have. And I get that. That's why partnership is so important. That's why Francis from Kenya can say to the Ghanaian, no, uh, uh, I could go to the, Francis, trust me, could come to the U.S. and raise $50,000 like that to build this church. And it'd be done. But uh, we've got to let the church develop and stand on its own two feet. The local church is to be the hero in the community. The people in the community see the church as the change agent. So if there's dental issues in that community, whose problem is that? The church. If unemployment is really high in that community, whose issue is that? The church. If there's medical issues and babies are dying, whose issue is that in that community? It's the church. It's not Charlie's and issues in Louisville, Kentucky, to deal with what's going on in Young, Ghana, if there's children dying there. That's the church's role. But we too often swoop in and take on the role of the church inadvertently in the idea of helping them, right? So we've got to work with that church. But sometimes in our relationship, we've got to geese, uh, grease the skids. Y'all know what that means? We need something that will help us to relate better. And that's where our partnership comes in. So the church in in, uh, northern Ghana, Francis greased the skids for us. Okay, what questions do you have about that? Come on, somebody just give me a question, anything. Yes. That's what this talks about, isn't it? <laughs> That's what we're supposed to be talking about. Okay, great question. Thank you. I'm going to get to my story here in a second. So what does sustainable health care look like? Because uh, we're not going to, just for your information, this town in northern Ghana, there's one part-time government dentist for 3 million people in northern Ghana. So how is that part-time dentist going to serve all those folks? It's not possible. So, hey, let's send about 20 short-term teams full of uh, American dentists over, and they spend a week and help people. But what happens when they go home? People still suffer, right? And it's not sustainable, to your point. So, so the local church is the, is the change agent. And we start with partnership. We start small, little projects. And we build or let them build let the relationship build naturally. Let us get used to each other, get to know each other, and deepen in our relationship. Uh, and when a partnership is really matured, here's what happens. Israel needs the gospel, right? Big time. You can't even share the gospel with somebody under 18 in Israel. Uh, soldiers uh, serving in the army is mandatory. And it is stressful. So... We want to take the gospel to teenagers in Israel. Well, Americans can't do that. But the Poles have a phenomenal relationship with Israel. 
And they have partnerships with Israel. And they have ways to do things that we don't have. So what we did is we partnered with our Polish partner. We go to Israel together and we take the gospel to teenagers in a very powerful way. You follow me? Two years ago, I'm at the conference. I'm walking through the booth. I see a sign. Djibouti. That's a funny word, isn't it? But Djibouti Healthcare, or what? I said, whoa, I stopped me because I'd just been there two months earlier. I said, oh, tell me about your ministry. I hope nobody in here from Djibouti doing ministry in Djibouti, right? Okay. Well, I would tell them this anyway. So, yeah. And they show these pictures, and they've been there a long time. It's an American couple. They bring Americans over. They do phenomenal work. I said, well, tell me what happens when these people come for health care and they want to know about, more about the gospel. How do you introduce them to the church in Djibouti? He goes, are you crazy? There is no church in Djibouti. I said, what? He goes, yeah, there's not a church in Djibouti. It's a Muslim nation. I was just there two months ago. I visited five of them. Five underground churches I was at. Sharing the gospel, making an impact in that nation. But you see, the American didn't know they were there. And this, these Americans have been there 25 years. But you know how I got there? It was our partner in Kenya introduced us to the church in, in Djibouti. See how important partnership is? I can't tell you enough how important that is. So um, the ministry uh, focuses on prayer. And a lot of times that's just that's for the American church. Okay, this is the stakeholders in a short-term trip. We have the team, we have the host partner, and we have the sending partner. So for us, we're the sending partner, um, and we, we send teams out, and we prepare the team to go on a trip. Uh, okay. Let me go through this real fast. Here's a successful short-term te- trip. We're invited. We don't go with our agenda. We are invited because our partner invited us in. That's the way we used to do it, honestly. We'd call to Jamaica and say, hey, we're bringing a team of 150 down. Can you find a project for us to do? So they'd send us around and show us churches we could paint or foundations we could dig. That's not the way we do it anymore. A felt need is met. We would go year after year and do VBS. Well, guess what? There was eight other churches coming for a week to do VBS in the same church. Come on now. Our role is a goal of a short-term trip makes the church more relevant. Um, any skills that we have on a short-term trip, we should pass on to the church. That's how you make it sustainable. So if I have dental skills, how can I pass on my skills to the church to, so that it can provide health care all year round? That's the question, right? Can you do that? Now, you can't do brain surgery, but there's a lot of things you can do. Um, don't do for the partner what they can do for themselves. Everybody knows the story in Haiti. My friend walks in, and she's uh, Kenyan. She's a missionary leading a team there. She goes, there's a hole in the roof of the church, right? Doesn't it get wet in here when it rains? And the Haitian says, yeah, it does. Well, is that a problem? Yeah, but we can't get a short-term team to get down here to fix that for us. She said, well, why, why don't you fix it yourself? Never occurred to them. That's a problem. We're part of the problem. 
That's why we don't support American missionaries in Haiti. We support East African missionaries in Haiti, not Americans. And a, here's a, a, a healthy partnership wouldn't let us do that anyway. Wouldn't let us go do for them what they can do for themselves. That's when you know you've got a healthy partnership. Uh, God is glorified and his bride is lifted up. And there, it's the hero, the local church. So the other concern I have is what are we demonstrating to people about how to do missions? When we take a bunch of high school kids and they're painting a building, what does that tell them about missions? Do they think that's what missions is about, painting something and doing something for them? Missions is about what Jesus modeled for it is that he, what he had, he gave to us. And that's what anything we have, we only receive from God. So he wants us to share it. We're blessed to be a blessing. Yes. So can we replicate this? Can others do this? Okay. So that's me about 15 years ago. And so you see these chairs. We put a nice back on a lounge chair. And this is hard work. Taking teeth out. And then as soon as you show up, 300 people there are there to have their teeth extracted. They're desperate to have their teeth extracted. And I did this for years. And... I think it helped a lot of people. But one time, about 14 years ago, we were on this trip. It's the last day. It's time to come home. And my good friend, who is a Louisville policeman, was in charge of managing the crowd that's coming in. So he comes to me about an hour before it's time for us to go, and he says, Charlie, um, there's still 85 people outside waiting to have their teeth taken out. What am I supposed to tell them because we have to leave in an hour? I said, bro, I don't know, but we're knee deep in these wisdom teeth and getting these root tips out. I don't care what you tell them. Like, okay, that's really a bit of a strange question because we've done this drill before. Why why didn't he know what to tell them? So he comes back 15 minutes later, and this time he's crying like a baby. I mean, just tears. He goes, no. What am I supposed to tell them? I said, Paul, what on earth are these tears about? And then I saw it. Because he had spent the last four days with these folks. He knew how much pain they were having. He knew how far they had come to be treated. He knew their desperation. And I was just nonchalantly just doing my thing, not paying a bit of attention to what's going on. And that's when it hit me through his tears. I saw it. And I I said to myself, Lord... This is not the way you would do it. You would not have us come all the way down here to leave these 85 people untreated. Well, that messed me up big time. I said, okay, I am done. I'm not even going to go. This is crazy. It just really, uh, the spirit just really um, messed with me. And then I went to lunch with a guy named Steve Saint. Do you guys know Steve Saint? Okay. He's a hero of the faith. But Steve is an extremely wise man. And so we go to lunch, and he asks me this simple question. He goes, Charlie, why do you go and do dentistry? Why don't you teach nationals how to do it? And I looked at him like, are you crazy? It took me four years to learn how to do dentistry. 
how am I going to teach in six days these guys how to do dentistry? He didn't say a word. He talks a lot, but this time he didn't say a word. He just let the Holy Spirit go to work. So I said, huh. Well, we can't teach him anything about embryology. And we can't teach him anything about the molecular structure of uh, lidocaine. And, you know, they won't know the, the anatomy of a periodontal ligament. But when it came time for me to learn how to do extra, uh, uh, injection, us, we just paired us up and the two of us went at it. When it was turned to, time to take out a tooth, a student a year ahead of me actually showed me how to do it. And I couldn't tell you the first thing about histology right now, honestly, to my own shame. So I said, okay, let's try this. So I called my friend in northern Ghana, and I said, hey, how about if we come and we teach you how to do dentistry? We bring all the stuff. You pick out four guys. We'll train them. So the first week, we trained them. And I remember being in that chapel, pulling out all of our portable dental chairs from iTech, pull all our anesthesia out, all this stuff, and these forceps. And I looked at these four guys, and I said, oh, my goodness, what have I done? This is horrible. And, uh, but we went to work, and there were plenty of patients to see. They were backed up. And by the end of six days, two days of classroom training, four days in the clinic, they got pretty proficient. So I said, okay, now, do a few of these. Don't do these lower wisdom teeth. Don't take up those teeth. I was very um, clear on which cases not to do. Went back a year later. They'd been working on teeth for a year. Boom. <laughs> they were taking teeth out like crazy. Now, I've heard taught here before that if you take a tooth out, you can leave a root tip. Sometimes you have to. No, you cannot leave a root tip. Now, sometimes on very rare occasions you may have to, but you inform the patient you cannot leave a root tip. So we had to teach them in a way that they didn't leave it. And if it broke, the root tip broke off, you had to go get it. So we had to teach them some things about dental anatomy. But we taught them the basics, and their dexterity is very good. And their skills are there. So that's my story. Yeah. Who were these guys? Were they guys or were they part of, you know, were they part of the kind of so the question was, who are these guys? Where do they come from? And uh, so we, these were guys that were identified by the church that could do this. Now, I'll be honest with you, about a third of the guys don't make it because they just can't do it. But two-thirds have no problem. It doesn't have to be guys. It can be ladies, too. So the church said, here's the guys we want you to use. They have a skill of evangelism. They have a heart to love people. And every person that comes in hears the gospel. And so, and that's who we work with. And these guys, um, Dr. Williams, raise your hand back there. Y'all get a chance to talk to him. These guys, and John is here too. Is Craig here? No, just John. Okay, John, raise your hand. He's a dentist too. These are my compadres that we go and we train. These, These guys that we train, I'll tell you the truth. We'd rather take them on a short-term mission trip than some of our colleagues in the U.S. That's how good they are. And I'm not teasing you guys. I'll tell you one case. There was four of us looked at this root tip. We said, you can't come out. Just leave it. 
That guy we had trained eight years earlier, he said, can I try? I said, no, we can't do it. Tim said, give him a shot. Let him try it. And I said, okay. 20 minutes later, he had this root tip out that four American dentists couldn't get out and one oral surgeon. Because they, they, they are used to using those hand. We have hand pieces that we can, hey, we just cut it out. So, so we let the church select. Yes, ma'am. You guys are asking great questions. Yes, that's a big concern. So we're not going to go to Kingston, Jamaica, and do this. But in the northern part of Ghana, where there's one part-time government dentist, the Ministry of Health still has jurisdiction up there. So in this case, the, the missionary decided, we're going to go under the radar. And we're going to do this, provide this care, and then, then we're going to present it to the Ministry of Health. Well, the Ministry of Health found them first. But here's what they did. The Ministry of Health went around to the communities and said, hey, these guys are doing dentistry. How are they doing? Oh, they're helping us a lot. Patients having any problems? No. Matter of fact, why are you asking these questions? It's your responsibility to do this, and you're not providing the care to us. So why are you going to give them a hard time when they're helping us? So the Ministry of Health comes into this clinic and says, hey, guys, who's doing the work? Give me their names. You guys are doing a great job. Keep going. So this is for frontier areas. You with me? This is not for the Caribbean. Uh, all those are a few places in Haiti you can do it. This is for where the gospel needs to go. Northern Ghana is 60% Muslim. Heavily Muslim, heavily Hindu areas. This is where you take this model. That's where the gospel needs to go anyway, right? Yes. 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 Um, what's your special? What do you? What do you? You're, you're a medical student. Okay. So uh, with abscessed teeth, which is the, the overwhelming problem, most of the time it's easy to diagnose. There's a few little simple tests we can do, or it's visual. You can see a tooth is like that's got a big cavity in it. Well, that's pretty obvious. Or the patient will say this is the one that hurts. So the diagnosis is not that tricky. The tricky part is the surgical technique. Yes. You know what? I had prayed before we came in that the Holy Spirit would give us compelling questions to ask. And he has answered that prayer. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So we bring the supplies and we bring the equipment and the chairs. and then, But they have to be resupplied, right? You've got to buy more lidocaine and gloves and... So we help them find where to resupply. Now, when you, so the supplies that take a tooth out may cost 50 cents. So you've got to charge a fee to the patient of a dollar or two. They set the price. That's what makes it sustainable. Okay? That makes sense? Yeah. Uh, what about the part-time dentist, the government guy? Was he engaged, engaged to say, here's the opportunity to, to uh, have some help? Here's the opportunity to yes. some Western training? Yeah, great. He was not interested in Western training, but the missionary invited him to come to the clinic, and he saw the layout, and he said, this is nicer stuff than I have. And it's just standard stuff here. So he was looking at it. He looked at their sterile technique. That's a big part of what we train. People are very familiar with sterile technique because of the AIDS crisis. They understand how germs are transmitted. So they looked at that, the skills, 
And they looked at the tools. They looked, he watched them work. He said, knock yourself out. i got plenty of patience. Yeah. He wasn't. They're not working together in Ghana. But other countries they are. So, the, I mean, the ministry model makes sense for a short-term trip. But most of the time when you're looking for a short-term trip opportunity, you don't control how it's set up. Yeah. And you, don't necess- you can't necessarily find something that's, that kind of embraces a sustainable yeah. model. So yeah. I guess my question is, how do you either find those trips? Okay. Where are they found? Or how do you... Yeah, okay. There's ministries now. Ten years ago, um, th- this is not a popular subject. It's accepted now. So, Tim, raise your hand. Jamie, raise your hand. Uh, Bill, raise your hand. These three guys are doing trips where we're doing this type of stuff, also in medicine. Uh, so they're teaching uh, basic skills to folks that can use it. It reminds me of a great story. We did this in India. And in India, they said we can only train the pastors. I said, okay. So there's a pastor, Michael. Great pastor. We tried to train him in dentistry. Within 30 minutes, bro, sorry. You can run the sterilization table, but you can't do any dentistry. Another team came in and taught him, taught him medicine. So he has a little black bag. So I was visiting one day. And I said, Michael, take my blood pressure for me. We couldn't even get the cuff on right. It's upside down. What is a brachial artery? You know, he didn't know anything. He was just as inept at medicine or taking vital signs as he was at dentistry. But here's what it did for him. He learned some basic skills about things. And his next-door neighbor comes to him and says, My daughter, is I think she's dying. She has a bad fever. They're Hindu, so they... They'd already spread chicken blood over her and all these crazy things to break her of this fever. Michael can't tell you the first thing about, <laughs> but he has this little black bag. So they think he might know something about medicine. And this family's desperate. Well, he doesn't know anything about medicine. He can't even. So he knows enough that she's really sick and has a fever. So he said, let's get her on my motorcycle and we're going to take her to the clinic. And she had typhoid fever. And the clinic treated her. And this is in a rural area. And now this family came to faith because of the love that Michael showed her. Well, I guess what I'm asking is how, how do people like us you know, find trips that are... are okay, see these two, three organizations? They all have booths here. ITEC, Empower, and TTT. Every one of them have trips that you could go on that would go to Empower and to equip and train. And fame's not up here, but fame out of Indianapolis does the same thing. Sorry, Bill, I forgot to put you guys up there. Does that help you? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many trips that don't focus on this. So it's, it's well, go to these three organizations. I know, but you, you also want to help the trips that aren't focusing on Okay. About okay. All right. All right. You might as well. Yeah. Okay, so that's a, good, that's a good fight. Okay? That's a good one. But some people just want to go and do. And I've gone with them. And I've shown them other ways. Yeah. So that's okay. They can do that. But you get connect with these guys, and they'll, you'll be good. Yes. I have a question about community health. So the guys that you trained um, to do the dental work, but at what point do you take that to the community and teach them preventative measures, like how they can take care of their own teeth? And how do you put 
that into education because I'm sure their education is, is long as well. So they just got, we teach prevent, prevention because that's part of the two-day training that we give them. They create the, cra- the craziest songs and models on how to teach people about why plaque causes tooth decay. They will take rocks and they'll make like teeth and they'll jam sand in there and they'll teach people this is what's happening. And they go to the schools and they say, this is why you brush your teeth. So they, they kind of they get a passion for this because they know people have been suffering for so long. And why? here's what they do. After they've extracted teeth for a year, they say, Charlie, come on now. Come on. Shouldn't we be helping these people save their teeth? Yes, we should. I'm glad you asked. So let's go. So uh, all these organizations are always being innovative about what are some new techniques that we can develop. You know what the number one, number one disease worldwide? Periodontal disease. That's why people lose their teeth from gum and bone disease. Well, we can treat that and we can uh, prevent that. And so that's another innovative thing that we're looking at doing. So. How, do you pay, how do you pay for prevention? Because people typically don't want to pay for prevention. They'll pay to get their tooth extracted, but they're not going to pay somebody to come out and explain to them how to have their teeth Yeah, you know, um, yeah, we're blessed in this culture because we see toothpaste commercials and bad breath commercials, and so you don't have that around the world. And it is more difficult because if you're poor, you're not thinking about prevention, right? So it is tougher. But it's on them. It's on them to say, wait a second, like the people in our community losing their tooth, that's a church issue. They're losing their teeth, that's a church issue. What can we do about that? So we let them come up with the plan. We don't, we just help them. And the Holy Spirit identifies it for them, and then they run with it. And they have creative ways to do that. Right? Yeah. So are you providing traditional floss and toothbrushes? Yeah. So we have a lot of dental hygienists that go on trips too. So they say, what is in your community? How do you clean teeth now? So many times it's a stick or something. We can give them a toothbrush, but three months later they need a new one. So we can't sustain that. So we help them. So they they work through ways to get the plaque off the teeth. It's a pretty simple thing. Dentistry is easy that way. So uh, they come up with ways to do that. So next one. Different model, kind of unique. It's it's a federally funded healthcare facility, but we have started some clinics in Africa and um, other parts of the world. And so we have in Sierra Leone, Africa, we have a, a clinic that we started with 50 employees. Only two Americans work there. All the rest are from Sierra Leone. And the nurse, the whole nursing staff, because there wasn't a lot of opportunity to go to nursing school there were all volunteers who we ended up training and paying. And then, so a part of our retention for uh, providers is uh, they get to go to one of our clinics um, and serve for two weeks without any, um, using any of their own time, and we pay for half the trip. And, and then they work alongside the doc and the CHOs or like PAs that, uh-huh. that work there. How, how, you, how do you sustain that? Um, through fundraising and, you know, none of yeah. the federal funds have, but it's, it's a lot of hard work. For it's a lot of hard work. Now we're working on some um, um, 
some developing, like selling water to yeah. the community yeah. and, and uh, cultural, yeah. um, agriculture and things like that. We haven't figured that part. That's a hard one to figure out. Yeah. Here's the deal. We said, I'll get to your question in a second. Jesus loved the whole person. So that means he, lo- he loved them spiritually, emotionally, socially, physically, and some could argue economically. So it takes a total approach. We can't just say, let's address this health care issue without addressing this economic issue, without addressing this education issue. It all has to be done at one time. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if we don't do that, we're going to get limited success. And that was Jesus' model for us. We first wanted to start off as a free for service. And uh, the nurse who, st- who started the clinic is from Sierra Leone. And she made us charge. And amazingly, we make about $50,000 a year. And we're the cheapest, yeah. ex- least expensive place yeah. and the nicest place in Sierra Leone. I commend you for listening to the national to tell you to charge. That's good. Because a lot of Americans take great pride in, hey, we offer a free dental clinic. Honestly, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> so, honestly. We were Seriously, how are you going to sustain? How can you sustain a free medical clinic? No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. We wouldn't want to. Here's the thing: when we go with our partners, the churches, places that you would not believe. Um, Djibouti is a great example. Americans can't find the local church because we don't know the lay of the land. That's why we partnership is so important. Now, Pastor Adamu planted 19 churches, okay? And, again, it's 60% Muslim. So when he goes to a community where there's not a church, he leads with a clinic. He goes into that community. And he does a short-term trip. His church staff, not his staff, but the members of his church have been trained in ministry, and they just operate a clinic in this community. They get to know people. They share the gospel. They see what the needs are in the community. And from that initial outreach, they plant the church. Does that make sense? So it's a super healthy model, and it doesn't depend on Americans to do that. But we've given them a skill that they didn't have, that God gave us. And they can't afford this huge infrastructure that we have here. We can't afford it much longer, this system of education that we have. But I'm not going to get onto that. How can you work with these countries that require approval for pharmaceuticals that you bring in? So you get, I guess, a local partner that can help you with the approval process so you can bring in donated medicines. Yes. And that is the local partner helping you because they're going to have connections with the government and they'll be able to do that because that's a big problem. You know, the hurricane hit Haiti and that was the issue. You know, now we had all these waterborne diseases that are, and they couldn't get the meds in there, and people and kids were dying for. So that's a big deal, you guys. You pharmacists, thank you for what you do because these meds really help a ton. So, uh, but again, it gets back to that local partner that you're working with that can get that in there for you. What time are we supposed to finish? Five? Five? Okay. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah. Uh, if there's not a church. Yeah. 
you know, we just have not had a problem with that. I don't know why, but um, when we think about going into a community, we God provides the partner. So I think it's networking, and maybe because our size, we can we don't have a bigger problem. But um, but honestly, a lot of people come to us and want to partner with us, and they don't fall they, they don't fall in line with these principles. So we just say no. Uh, there's an application process, but those that do, we want to run with them. So yeah. Okay, you're good. Okay. Saudi Arabia, here we come. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, they need healthcare workers. I'm told an ER physician with uh, a bunch of board certifications can do a two year stint, they pay your way home twice to the U.S. you have all the same equipment we have here, all the same resources, and they pay you $750,000 a year. It's not a bad gig. You don't have to raise support. I met um, a business consultant that was, that's a big deal in Saudi Arabia. So the CEO of all utilities in Saudi Arabia has a personal business consultant, and he happened to be an American. So this guy has an office right next to the CEO, and he just consults him all day. So the Saudi CEO says, why does your wife like you? My wife always nags me. But your wife honors you and respects you. How do you do that? Now it's life on life. Now he's introduced to a conversation about why. Powerful. I don't know how we missed this for the last. It's that simple. The door is wide open, I'm telling you. So you young folks, seriously pray about that. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's hard on ladies there. It's really hard. It, you have to be called because it's, it's very oppressive. And, uh, but I was there with uh, about 12 families that are working there. And Friday afternoon, you, you go to the Cornage. It's like the beach. It's really nice. Super nice facilities. You feel safe. But... The spiritual warfare is intense. So you have to be prepared that way. So, Next question. How long have you been in Ghana? How long does it take to develop this? Uh, we went to Ghana. I initially went about in 1994, so 12 years ago. Um, we started training folks on how to do that. Um, then, Francis, will you stand up? And Pamela? You should... This is Francis and Pamela Bukachi from uh, Kenya. And they, when did you guys go there? 2010. So they've developed a team of Ghanaians that do all the ministry. They don't even live there anymore. This ministry is thriving. Now it's expanding into Burkina Faso. So um, to develop the dental program is quick. You start right away. But the key they grease the skids because they go to the church and they say, no, we're not going to build your church. We'll show you how you can build your church. Uh, so now they bring in, what are all the different programs you guys have, Francis? Just stand up. You have 12 schools that have started out of these churches. That's a felt need in the community because kids need a place to go to school. Six clinics. Big deal. They taught them how to do business. I'm repeating because this is being recorded. Keep going. Farming. 
Yeah. ATEC does a really cool thing. <laughs> they taught him how to tell a story and shoot a video uh, with some basic skills so they can give testimony and they can share it with other. Uh, so stop by the ATEC booth. It's powerful. Uh, ATEC is very innovative about the things they do. Uh, has TTT been? T- they've been there. TTT's been to Northern Ghana. Yeah. But see, Francis' Ghanaian team facilitates all these American teams coming in. And Francis is quick to say, no, that's a bad idea. Don't do that here. Don't come here and teach, I don't know, VBS. We know how to do that. It has to be a felt need in the community. You guys really should talk to some pharmacists because drugs are an issue there for us too, right? So that's a big deal. Yeah. There was another question somewhere? Yeah. Are you pretty much using high tech chairs? And if so, yeah. Are you, are you leaving them in communities? Yes. Yes, because we trust the partner a great deal. We're family. And in and, and the spirit, there's oneness. We completely trust them to do what they want with it. Yeah. Now, people have said, should we do that? Well, we probably shouldn't be partnered if we don't trust the partner to do that. Because I know in the past there's people like, I don't know, that's a good idea, not a bad, not a good idea to just give them that chair and let them run with that. So that's a good point. Just one more question, like with the hand pieces. Uh-huh. Well, when you extract abscess teeth, we don't use a lot of hand pieces. Yeah, there's a restorative component to that. And frequently we're going back to the same place just to check on them, but also to train more people. So we can do replacement that way. And we give them a little few extra hand pieces in case they run into a problem. Yeah. So. Yeah. Have you uh, connected them with microfinance or health savings to that they can have money to pay for services? Yeah, that's part of the holistic model, right? Yeah. So um, a lot of times in poverty areas, they're just not very good business people. They sell stuff, but at the end of the day, they have less money than they started with. So you got to teach them some basic principles. But once they get on it, you know, 10% of the population in the world is entrepreneurial, right? So, um, yeah, so that's, we, 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 that's the holistic approach. you got to do all that. But it's actually, we got to raise up the Ghanaians, and they teach everybody else, right? So we really go once or twice, and then they're good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you can teach people to prescribe medicines. Um, like in dentistry, we have to with amoxicillin which works great in these areas, are, are painkillers. So most of the time they get it at the local market because it's over-the-counter, amoxicillin's over-the-counter. Uh, so if you go to the TTT booth, Teach to Transform, they're doing wound care and they're doing um, uh, new baby, what do they call it? Helping babies breathe. Helping babies breathe, big deal, big deal. Uh, Jamie, I tech guys, what are you guys teaching in your medical modules? There's a variety of things. Um, we have a basic first aid, um, first aid, and then triage things. Yeah. We also do um, pain, so based upon the community, that can be malaria, type 4, um, high blood pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And you're teaching them how to take vital signs and things like that. So, yeah. So, 
jump on a trip with those guys, or if you got a great partner, they'll go with you. That's what this conference is all about, is connecting those. Yes? Yeah. I guess in Afghanistan, you know, ladies have a burqa, and so it's hard for me to take a tooth out. So that was an issue. So uh, we try to have ladies do that. So, but if you'll sequester the ladies in a room and you don't let any Afghan men in, then they'll let me, then they'll take their burqa and let me take out their tooth. Some of them aren't comfortable with that, so... Uh, the, again, the local partner helps us with that. What I find is, um, because we're bringing love and we're coming in the name of Jesus, our partners show us a lot of grace. Like, we'll say stupid stuff. Like, in Ghana, they had this white dough ball. It's disgusting. No, seriously, it's really disgusting. So my brother from New Orleans says, while the cook's standing right there, he's got his hot sauce. Hey, I put this on, the, on something, I can eat anything. Not culturally appropriate. <laughs> so they just show us a lot of grace about that. But we really listen to our, our partner uh, to guide us through that. There's some deplorable things done because of myths. Um, what's it called, Tim, when a child's born with an extra tooth? They're born that way? Ectopic? Ectopic tooth? In northern Ghana, if a child is born with an ectopic tooth, it just happened to erupt early. They look at the child, they take him to the bush and throw him away. Let the animals eat him. Crazy, crazy stuff that takes place. So we confront those cultural things. Uh, so it kind of goes both ways. Yes? Okay, does anybody understand his question? You do understand his question? What does he mean? It means what you're doing materially. Are you only focusing on sustaining that and keeping that going? Or are you focusing on uh, a more spiritual? Okay. Is that what you're asking? Okay. We feel like the people we train are sold out for Jesus. They're in the church. The church's role is to love the community, love the neighbor, and have a spiritual impact. That's kind of a given for us on the front end. That is non-negotiable. Like we wouldn't work with a parachurch organization that had humanitarian aid as, a, as the motive. So, uh, and, and then every patient is prayed for, every patient is presented the gospel, and then follow-up is done with the patients. So these are all aspects of the training. But we don't really have to train that because they do it naturally. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. So uh, you you pray. You can't present the gospel necessarily, but a lot of time in a Muslim culture, it's a one-on-one thing. Or, you know, again, it's the partner defining the context. This is just used as a tool to love them. Trust me. When an Islamic mullah has a toothache and he doesn't want to have a thing to do with a Christian or he doesn't even want to be touched by them, it's amazing how that goes away when you get pain. 
So you just put your hand on that brother's chest. That, he's not a brother yet, but and you pray for him. And you tell him, look, tomorrow you're going to wake up and this pain is going to be gone. And let me tell you who you can give credit to that for. Jesus, the Son of God. He did that for you. Don't you forget that. Powerful. This lady right here, Pamela Bucacci, is a great evangelist. She's a gifted evangelist. She told me, ten years ago, she was trained to do dentistry. She said, oh my goodness. Evangelism is so much easier when I have this skill of dentistry that I can treat them with. It's like they listen, they hang on every word. Is that not the model Jesus gave his disciples? Go and heal the sick. All we have to do is pass our skills on to the... And preach the gospel. That's right. All, all those things that he said. Don't ever go without preaching the gospel. Then that's like... Heal the sick and preach the gospel. And, and declare the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. David. Eric um, and I got to hear from the ER doctor in Saudi Arabia last night, actually. And it's an awesome thing they got to do in there. So if you're interested in reaching the unreached rich, uh, <laughs> I was, yeah, kind of a weird phrase, but I was looking through the thing. I'm bummed not going to be speaking. But anyways, I can give you his email if you want to give him your email. So, yeah. Last year, I, a group of us talked to the physician that was the physician for the king of Saudi Arabia. He sat in his house all day long, just in case he was needed. There was also a Saudi. And this guy was a prayer warrior. This king doesn't have a chance. He played with his kids. This is the door that healthcare gives for us. And we need to leverage it for the kingdom. And uh, so, thank you, David, for that commercial. So, Yes. You said that the church needs to recognize it's responsible for health care. But in a lot of countries that um, the church has grown up with, they understand that it's the government's job to provide yeah. health care. Yeah. How do you make that trend? We have the same problem here, right? <laughs> it's no different. So you teach them the scriptures. Like, when you talk about holistic ministry, it's not taught in our seminaries and our Bible, in our Bible colleges. It's our shame. It's not. But when you talk about loving the whole person, all of a sudden the scriptures have a whole different meaning. Take the uh, demoniac, right? What did Jesus do? He goes across the lake and see a galley, goes to Decapolis, and he sees this guy who's threatening the whole community. He heals him instantly spiritually. The scripture says when he found him, he was naked. When Jesus left, he was clothed. So he said, what did he say to Jesus? Hi, I want to go with you, Jesus. He said, no, you stay here and you go tell this community what God has done for you. So he restored him emotionally, socially, spiritually, physically. This pattern that we have of sticking some peanut butter and jelly in a backpack and giving it to a kid and say, hey, have a nice weekend, is hogwash. It's appalling to God. Why on earth does that family not have food in that house? That's a church issue. And we give it a Band-Aid by giving them some peanut butter and jelly. Come on. There's something wrong with that. So uh, it's teaching the Bible and teaching holistic development. And... So, medical ambassadors, or anybody from here there, from medical ambassadors? Great training. Uh, so, actually, who's leading the way on that is Africans. The best ideas for ministry now are coming from outside the U.S., honestly. Which is okay. It's good. It's good. You could take those ideas to the inner city and use them. Guess what? <laughs> Why do you think we have an African on our staff teaching us holistic transformational development for our brothers and sisters in the inner city? It's transformational. 
Watch, Louisville is going to blow up. You give it five years, you're going to be seeing. What happened here? What happened here? God showed up. He's already here. God's going to do great things. Through that very thing, by loving people the way Jesus told us to love them. The whole person. So, thank you. You guys got those faces. You saw those. Uh, Connect with those. Go visit their booths. And um, welcome to Louisville. Let me pray. Lord, you are good. (laughs) Off the chart good. Thank you for this discussion. Thank you, Lord, for always going ahead of us and giving us uh, work to do. Thanks for just teeing it up for us. So help us to take the truth of Jesus to the nation of Saudi Arabia for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.